Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Glad to have you with me. I'm Bruce Hooley. You say, what is that music, Bruce? Well, that is the Nebraska fight song. Doesn't it sound good? Oh, yeah, that's nice. See, I'm playing it for you now because I know you're not going to get to hear it on Saturday when Ohio State plays Nebraska in Lincoln because Nebraska's program is not at all what people thought it would be when Scott Frost was hired four years ago. Four years ago, off a national championship at Central Florida. Yes, uh, at least Central Florida fans said it was a national championship, but Ohio State will sail into Nebraska on Saturday for the big noon kickoff against the Cornhuskers on the heels of a nine-point win over Penn State and on the heels of the Buckeyes uh, coming out ranked, what, fifth in the first college football playoff ratings. So we have that to talk about. We have a, uh, another blow to the Oakland Raiders, Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, to talk about, and we have uh, perhaps the release of Odell Beckham Jr. happening today, or looks like in the next couple of days, with the Cleveland Browns. So thanks for joining us. A reminder that Hemisphere Coffee Roasters is the coffee that you should choose, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. You will get a 15% discount when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. That's WETACKLELIFE in all caps. You're making a big mistake if you order coffee from anybody else. Chocolate from anyone else, tea from anyone else. You will not get it sourced from growers direct around the world like you will from Hemisphere. And you will not help support ministry efforts around the world like you will when you support Hemisphere. So use that promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, and you'll get 15% off when you order at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Remember, you get free shipping on orders of $30 or more. All right. To the big news of the day, your Buckeyes debut at number five in the college football playoff rankings. Um, eh, not a little, I guess maybe a tad surprised that uh, Ohio State is ahead of Cincinnati. I am very surprised Cincinnati is sixth. I don't understand that at all. Uh, I mentioned that on Twitter last night, and of course the Ohio State brigade came after me hard because Cincinnati has no impressive wins. Uh, I don't want this podcast to be that, you know, Cincinnati should be ranked ahead of Ohio State. Cincinnati's better than Ohio State. But right now, at the very first ranking, Cincinnati should be ahead of Ohio State. Ah, tell me. Who's Ohio State beaten? Penn State, right? That's Ohio State's best win at Indiana. Well, Cincinnati won at Indiana. Yes, I know. Ohio State won by more. But is beating Akron and Tulsa and Rutgers and Maryland, and Minnesota, and Penn State, more impressive than any of those, more impressive than Cincinnati's victory at Notre Dame? I'd say no. I'd say no. And so I think you are what you are when you're at your best, and that is when Cincinnati was at its best. And so I would rank Cincinnati right now ahead of Ohio State, if only because you will then not get the responses that you got last night, and I fully understand and actually sanctioned the responses last night from the commissioner of the America Athletic Conference, which is basically this is a Power Five Invitational. This is a Power Five Invitational. And that's what it is. This has been the case since Ohio State uh, was attractive to the committee in 2014, more so than TCU and Baylor because of Ohio State's fan base, television ratings appeal, and all those things. And Ohio State showed that it was a good choice to put them in the playoff ahead of those two teams from the Big 12. 
But if you're making a case on field, I think Cincinnati right now, I've watched them. I've watched Ohio State. To me, I think Ohio State would win the game. I don't think Ohio State would blow Cincinnati out. And I just don't understand what is the possible justification for not ranking Cincinnati in the top four right now. If Ohio State beats Michigan State and beats Michigan, I guess you move them up. If Oregon continues to win, well, you move them up. If Bama continues to win, you move them up. If Georgia continues to win, you keep them there. But for right now, it's supposed to be a rating of where you are right now in the season. I don't see that any of those teams, except maybe Bama, should be ahead of Cincinnati. Cincinnati's undefeated, Bama's not, so I would have no problem if Cincinnati was number two in the ratings. But they clearly don't want Cincinnati in the Final Four, and so they're going to put them at six, and if the Bearcats keep winning, eh, they figure that everybody else will keep winning too, and if Oklahoma keeps winning, do you really think they're not going to elevate Oklahoma over Cincinnati? Although I will say this, 100% certainty that I have, 100% certainty, Cincinnati would beat Oklahoma. I have no doubt in my mind Cincinnati would beat Oklahoma. You need to watch Cincinnati play if you don't think that's the case. But I think they would. It's uh, speculative, of course, but that's where we are. So it's Georgia 1, Alabama is 2, Michigan State is 3, and then we have Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati. Michigan is 7. Come on. Oklahoma 8. Michigan better than Oklahoma? I don't think so. No, I don't think Michigan's better than Cincinnati either. Wake Forest... Notre Dame is 10th. So Cincinnati has a win over the number 10 team on the road. Ohio State's best win would be over whom? Whom? Number 20, Minnesota. Number 20, Minnesota is Ohio State's best win. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I just... The goalposts are moving. They're going to do whatever they have to do to keep Cincinnati out. That's clear. I feel bad for Luke Fickle. I don't know if they'll do they can't do it to them next year when they're in the Big 12 or 2 years from now when they're in the Big 12. Eventually Cincinnati will get in because they'll win the Big 12 because they play defense which Oklahoma does not, which no one in the Big 12 does. So that's where we are with the college football playoff rankings. Uh, as for Oregon, will Oregon stay ahead of Ohio State if Oregon continues to win? They are at Washington this week, then they play Washington State at home, at Utah, Oregon State and then the Big excuse me, Pac-12 championship game. I don't know how you rank Ohio State ahead of Oregon ever if Oregon keeps winning and Oregon beat Ohio State. I've watched Oregon since they played Ohio State, and I don't think Oregon looks as good as they did that day. But the fact of the matter is they played head-to-head. They didn't have their top two defenders, and they won in Columbus. So I don't think Ohio State can pass Oregon. But... Could you put Ohio State in and not put Oregon in? <laughs> put Cincinnati in ahead of Oregon? Eh, that'd be hard. That'd be hard to do. So, look, I, I know it's complex and I know it's, you know, debatable and all those kinds of things. I just, I, I feel bad for Cincinnati, man. Like, what do you want them to do? Michigan State third. All right. They beat Miami at Miami. Uh, is Miami a team that, you know, is all that impressive? Eh, Miami is, uh, what, under 500, right at 500? They got talent. They don't really translate that talent. They beat Indiana by five points. Uh, they had them at home. Ohio State had them on the road, smoked them. Cincinnati had them on the road, smoked them by more than five. Michigan State, 
They beat Nebraska by three. Ohio State's going to beat Nebraska by three touchdowns, minimum. Uh, Youngstown State at Northwestern, they won by 17. Like, come on. I need more than a Michigan loss to Michigan State to believe in Michigan State. I'll make you a little bet here. Michigan State, let me get their schedule up. Michigan State plays at Purdue this week. That could be a loss. That could be a loss. They play Ohio State the next to last game of the regular season, and then they play Penn State at home. I'm going to say Michigan State is going to lose two of those four games. Two of those four games. Maybe three. Maybe three of those four games. Wouldn't shock me. They're not the number three team in the country. Come on, give me a break. That's a joke. Michigan's not the number seven team in the country. That's a joke. Michigan will lose again before Michigan plays Ohio State. Uh, in my humble opinion, Michigan will lose again before they play Ohio State. They play Indiana at home, at Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State. I don't know who, but they're going to lose one of those three games before they play Ohio State, and they are most assuredly losing to Ohio State. So you can tell I don't think the Big Ten's a very good conference. I think everybody in the conference is drinking Ohio State's bathwater. Ew, uncomfortable image, but nevertheless true. So uh, Ohio State's clearly the class of the league. And uh, just in case you were wondering, no, I do not believe that Wisconsin has stumbled upon some great renaissance and that Graham Murs and Wisconsin Badgers are going to start to be something that people have to worry about dealing with. Will Wisconsin win the Big Ten West? Probably. I mean, who else is going to? Northwestern? No. Nebraska? No. Minnesota? Eh, maybe. Iowa? No. Iowa's gone in the tank. Iowa got hammered by Wisconsin 27-7. to so the Big Ten West is abysmal. Uh, the Big Ten East is Ohio State and nobody else. Do you hankering for an Ohio State-Minnesota rematch in the Big Ten championship game? P.J. Fleck probably is because that would give him cover for the seven-year contract extension Minnesota just gave him. Uh, so P.J. Fleck will not be the new coach at LSU. He will not be the new coach at USC. He will not be the new coach at TCU as all three of those jobs are open at present. So that's my take on the college football playoff rankings. Ohio State, my four right now, as I said Monday, my four would be Cincinnati, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. Those will be my four at the end of the year because I just kind of think Oregon flirts with losing every week and eventually will figure out a way to lose, and Oklahoma may figure out a way to lose, and they may have to put Ohio State, or they may have to put Cincinnati in, and they, they may have an uncomfortable uh, thing on their hands. They may have to put both Bama and Georgia in, they may have to put Bama in as a two-loss team, and they may have to put Bama in to play Georgia right after they just played them in the SEC title game. So there's a lot going on with college football, but this week what you need to know is that Ohio State is not going to lose to the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and it is highly possible, in fact, some might even say probable, that Scott Frost is going to be fired at Nebraska at the end of the year. Now, Nebraska is well on its way to its fourth consecutive losing season under Scott Frost. They have lost three in a row and five of six. Now, their five losses have not been terrible. Taken individually, you say, oh, we're really close. We lost to Oklahoma 23-16 to when Oklahoma was number three in the country. We lost to Michigan State 23-20 to in overtime when Michigan State was 20th in the country. We just absolutely eviscerated Northwestern, 56-7. to We came back and lost to Michigan by three when Michigan was a top-ten team, and then we lost by seven to Minnesota. It's bad on us. 
this past weekend. They lost at home to Purdue. Now, Purdue's not bad. Purdue won at Iowa. Purdue's got a little bit of something going on, and I wouldn't want to have to play Purdue at Purdue. But they got Purdue at home, and they lost 28-23. to And in and of itself, that's not a game where you say, okay, we got to fire you because you lost to Purdue. But you do have to, at some point in time, say, I have a coach who is now on his way to his fourth straight losing season and who is 5-18, and 5-18, and 18, ladies and gentlemen, in games decided by eight points or less. That's a touchdown and a two-pointer, including 0-6 this year. Yes, every Nebraska loss this year has been by eight points or fewer. Their season-opening loss was to Illinois, 30-22, to and people were on Scott Frost from the very beginning. Is beating Fordham, Buffalo, and Northwestern the avenue to keep your job at Nebraska? I don't think that's what they aspire to. Here's who they finish with. Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa. <laughs> They're going to be 3-9. and nine. They're going to be 3-9. and nine. And I don't know how you keep a guy who's 3-9 and nine if you can't get, what, P.J. Fleck would have been a better choice there. Um, would Gary Patterson go to Nebraska? Maybe. Gary Patterson's not done coaching, I don't think. But Scott Frost's not getting it done. He's not going to get it done Saturday, and C.J. Stroud will have a big game, and Travion Henderson will have a big game, and Ohio State will look great, and then we'll see uh, what happens after that with Scott Frost and his future. But I cannot believe that Nebraska is going to stay committed to him. I have no idea what their financial situation is. I have no idea if they just think, well, they can't do better than Scott Frost, so let's just stick with him. But after that, Ohio State gets Purdue at home, then Michigan State at home, and then at Michigan. So the Buckeyes' schedule definitely gets harder second half of the season, but not hard enough for anyone to beat them because they are just that much better than everyone in the Big Ten. Now there's an interesting situation developing on the uh, north coast of the state of Ohio with uh, the great Odell Beckham. The great in his own mind, Odell Beckham. First of all, let me tell you about somebody who really is great. And they're also from northeast Ohio, but they're licensed to work all over the state of Ohio, and that is auiinfo.com. auiinfo.com. All right. They help you as a business owner line up benefits for your employees. I'm going to put that aside and remind you that right now, if you're an individual and you don't own a business and you're just an individual person, you're in the only time of the year where you can change your health insurance. Inflation is a thing, right? You're paying more at the pump. You're paying more at the grocery store. You're paying more for everything. Healthcare is an expensive thing. And if you are not going to look at your healthcare options as an individual or as a business this year of all years with inflation, you are going to get absolutely hammered with increased costs. And why not know exactly what benefits are staying, which ones are going, what you need, will you get what you need, is what you're paying worth what you're paying to get it? So that's a bunch of questions I threw at you. The answers come from auiinfo.com. They will supply the answers via chat if you like, via phone call, via Zoom, in person if you care to. But here's the thing. If you're a business, everybody's got to help one and sign out. Everybody's trying to hire people. Don't make the mistake of thinking, well, 
if I were getting hired to work in my first job out of college, or if I were getting hired, I'm in my 30s and I'm trying to pick up a job, here's what I would want. I would want health insurance for this. That's what you think, but you don't know what the younger people think right now. AUI got me thinking outside the box in that some young people would rather have paid time off than health insurance. They would rather have more vacation than health insurance. There may be a way for you to put together a benefits package that involves vacation, PTO, this, that, the other, instead of health insurance. And that will sing to those kids, those young people, those young families you're trying to hire. So let Chrissy and the smart people at AUI get you to enlarge your thinking, to appeal to people on a broader basis than before. You might end up with great workers and you might end up with a better avenue to keep them because you availed yourself of the free, I said free, consultation and service, always free to you from auiinfo.com. Who pays them? The companies that you choose to do business with pay AUI. You never pay them ever. Free to you as an individual, free to you as a business owner. Click away, auiinfo.com. All right, we have Browns and Bengals on Sunday, which I'm excited about because it's a must win for both teams. The Bengals blew one against the New York Jets and should get, um, need to get rather, back on the beam by beating the Browns at home. This is a more of a must-win game for the Bengals than if they had gotten off to a uh, start that included a win over the New York Jets. The Browns come in four and four, two game, well, one game behind, but the Bengals are five and three. The Browns come in reeling from a home loss to the Steelers, which we covered Monday, which was just egregious. But now we have, shocker of all shockers, drama surrounding wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Okay, the Browns traded for Odell Beckham Jr. John Dorsey orchestrated it. They were going to be over the top now with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and the LSU connection and Baker Mayfield and everybody loves everybody. It's all going to be great. There's enough balls to go around. Except Odell Beckham Jr. is Odell Beckham Jr. He's not the Odell Beckham that he was when he burst onto the scene with his one-handed catch for the New York Jets. He's a diva. And while he's talented, while he individually can make you say, wow, he doesn't do it consistently, and he's not healthy enough, and emotionally, he is a super selfish guy. Never before more apparent than this week, when in a clearly orchestrated effort to get his release from the Cleveland Browns, Odell Beckham had his dad release an Instagram video of a bunch of game film spliced together showing how many times Baker Mayfield missed him when he was open. Okay, Film don't lie. Baker's missed him a lot. They've never been on the same page. I don't know if they have a personal thing going or not. You can't, as I say, uh, misportray things, but you also cannot point out that Baker Mayfield is not getting it done if you want to be a team guy and not stir up trouble. What does that tell you that Odell Beckham's father releases that video And then LeBron James piles on with a tweet, free Odell. Obviously, this is orchestrated by Odell and his people. And he wants the Browns to release him. He wants to get paid more than he would if he just walked away. And Again, you buy the ticket, you take the ride. When you trade for Odell Beckham Jr., you cannot expect to get head down, quiet, never say a word, catch passes, score touchdowns. You're not getting Marvin Harrison when you trade 
for Odell Beckham Jr. You're not. You're getting all the good and all the bad that goes with him. And when you have a team where Jarvis Landry, as I enumerated Monday, Odell Beckham, commercials, Tigers, underwear, all these guys have their own individual brand going on, and they all have their own, you know, one, two, three, look at me attitude. It shouldn't shock you as a fan. It shouldn't shock you as an observer that the Cleveland Browns don't focus, lock in, and do the little things well all the time that you have to do all the time in the NFL to distinguish yourself from the teams that are doing them all the time. I would tell you that I think the Browns would be probably better off without Odell. They didn't need him last year. Certainly they're better off without him now because you get rid of him, you eliminate a distraction. But this was a trade went wrong. I don't think it was disastrous. It's like not like, you know, with Jabril Peppers, they would uh, be tremendously better. But they did give up a number one for Odell Beckham. And I'm not sure that he has played at any point in his time here with the Browns like a number one. I'm sure he had a good game. Was that against the Cowboys a couple of years ago? But um, he's he is a juice that is not worth the squeeze. <laughs> and my guess is he's been excused from practice today. He will not be in uniform on Sunday. I can't imagine he'd be in uniform on Sunday if he's not in practice today. Today's the day they put the game plan in. So they'll play without him at Cincinnati. It'll be a thing on the Sunday shows. Uh, He may be signed by another team before Sunday. The Patriots may sign him. The Saints may sign him. I don't know. Uh, Can't trade him. NFL trade deadline pass. Can't trade him. So probably release him and he'll sign with somebody else. And the Odell Beckham saga in Cleveland will be over. And I really do think long-term... They'll be better off for it. What's with the Browns and the Diva wide receivers? Josh Gordon, Odell Beckham. Well, both guys supremely talented. Both guys are bigger knuckleheads than they are talents. And so, for different reasons, but they're both knuckleheads, and the Browns have been held hostage by both of them. Cut your losses. Move on without Odell Beckham. Uh, If you are in a situation where you need that kind of bold, plainly stated advice... You'd be best served by an attorney firm like my friends at Willis Spangler Starling. My friend Stan is a partner there. Kelly, Phil, Ashley, a lot of great people. Firm is expanding, growing, flourishing. Hopefully because you've heard about it on the We Tackle Life podcast. But I know because they are doing great work in the fields that they specialize in. Their workers' comp department is phenomenal. Will's estate planning, probate personal injury, employment law. They handle all the vexing parts of the law, and they represent you with skill and with dignity and with personality and with a dogged determination to stand up for your rights. Always integrity, character, and acumen first. Willis Spangler Starling, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. So the other half of the Battle of Ohio concerns your Cincinnati Bengals. And the Joe Burrow-led Bengals, I think, have the capacity to give the Browns a lot of trouble on Sunday because Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, also obviously Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, C.J. Uzama. I think the Bengals are going to win that game. And I think the Cleveland Browns, having lost two in a row, to the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals probably will be playing out the string. 
I just think that Joe Burrow is a much better long-term bet as a franchise quarterback than Baker Mayfield, because why? Joe Burrow, you're not going to see him sprinting, acting a fool, high-strung, all those kinds of things. The best quarterbacks, I'll say it again, prioritize winning first, and everything else is not even a consideration. Joe Burrow is locked in on winning. He does not accept the fact that, well, we're the Bengals and we're cheap and Mike Brown's the owner and we're going to lose. He's transformed that franchise in two years. He's only been on the field like a year and a half. Not even that yet. So I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan as a quarterback. Um, He's a little frosty to embrace. But you know what? I've said this before, and it's absolutely true. The great quarterbacks in NFL history, a lot of them had a very distinct edge to them. Tom Brady does. Dan Marino certainly did. Terry Bradshaw did. I don't know about Joe Montana, but, you know, they might look good on camera, sound good on camera, seem friendly. Joe Burrow seemed friendly enough. They've got an edge. And Joe Burrow, I see that edge. In Baker, you say, well, Baker's got an edge. Yeah, Baker's got a fake tough guy edge. Baker's got the, hey, check me out edge. Baker's got the, I've made it, but I don't think you've given me enough credit for making it. So you tell me, Baker's one of those guys who goes, you know, enough about, um, enough about me talking about me. What do you think of me? That's Baker Mayfield. He just can't stop talking about Baker Mayfield. Joe Burrow would just roll his eyes at you. And just move on. Cold stare. <laughs> That's Joe Burrow. So I, I'm picking the Bengals on Sunday, and uh, I'll be, I'll apologize and admit my error if I'm wrong, but I don't think I'll be wrong. In the faith portion of the podcast today, I wanted to share with you a scripture that I happened upon yesterday morning while sitting down in my chair to start my day by reading the Bible. You know how I start it in a chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the day of the month. So yesterday being the second, I was in Proverbs 2. I love jumping back to the beginning of Proverbs at the start of a month. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, so much in there about wisdom, so much encouragement about wisdom. And in the course of flipping to Proverbs, I opened my Bible to the book of Psalms, which is you know right before Proverbs. And I saw a portion of Psalm 147 that stuck out at me. And I just thought this brought to light a very interesting concept that I'd like to share with you and maybe uh, build from a little bit. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. It's talking about God. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now, we have a horse, as you know. Mr. Spielman liked to make jokes about me cleaning out the horse stall and being my wife's stable boy. And my wife loves horses. I do not love horses. I have joked before, only half-jokingly, that a horse is the world's most expensive lawn ornament. But the truth is... um, I love the horse because my wife loves the horse and I love my wife. And I've gotten to the point over the years where I've been very comfortable spending time tending to the horse, taking it inside in the rain, taking it back outside when the weather's nice, cleaning its stall from time to time. I'm not scared of the horse anymore. 
Yet, what has always been evident to me and what would be evident to you if you were ever in close proximity to a horse, and our horse is a retired thoroughbred, so our horse is stately in its manner. Our horse is the epitome of strength. It has muscles on muscles and humongous upper, like, legs. Its leg muscles that go up into its uh, hindquarters are just, I mean, it's really a visually stunning thing to stand next to such a magnificent animal and feel that power close to you and then take it outside and if it's been cooped up in the stall for a couple of days it has all this open space in which to unleash its muscle structure and power and speed and it is really moving to stand there and watch a horse that has been cooped up get out and kick and stretch and run and sprint and buck and snort. And it's a little scary because, as the psalmist writes, the strength of the horse is really something that makes an impression on you. But this verse says, God's pleasure is not in the strength of the horse nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now, I've been fortunate in my career to cover a lot of elite athletes. I've witnessed a lot of amazing athletic achievements. Occasionally, there's something catastrophic that happens to an athlete, and they're injured, and occasionally they end up in a wheelchair, like Steve Gleason of the New Orleans Saints, died of ALS. William White, former Buckeye, a really good friend of Chris's. William is battling ALS. Uh, Landon Turner, obviously, Indiana basketball player, paralyzed in a car accident. Roy Campanella. And when you see an athlete who used to be stately and powerful, or when you see just any human being who's confined to a wheelchair or they're debilitated by some injury, you know, you look at them and you're not struck by the same physically imposing strength and capacity for speed and power that you are when you stand next to or watch an elite athlete perform or a, you know, a racehorse perform. But that doesn't matter to God. It says here, the Lord delights in those who fear him. There's nothing about being in a wheelchair, being sick, being um, left with one leg, no legs, no arms, one arm. There's nothing about our physical existence that keeps us from having everything we need to delight God because we all have the capacity to reverence, esteem, and extol him by demonstrating our respect for his authority in our life. That's what it means to fear him. It doesn't mean to be terrified of him. Although certainly there are things God could do to any of us that would be terrifying. But when I think of God, I think of this loving father, sure, who disciplines me, who reproves me, who allows difficult things into my life to get my attention and draw me back to him and grow me and prune my rough edges off and all those kinds of things. But I just think of Everyone has the capacity to inspire delight in the Lord. 
by fearing him, by loving him, by obeying him. And so that's why I wanted to leave that with you today, because it says the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And there is tremendous hope in that. And I hope you know that hope. If you don't, get in touch with me. Um, we tackle life at gmail.com. I would love to flesh it out for you, explain it further, uh, and have you come to that same understanding and joy that I have. I don't play it out perfectly. I don't think anybody does. But I know that God loves us all, and I know that He would love to have a closer relationship with you and to be delighted by your demonstration of His love to us. With that, I bid you adieu, and I will see you again on Friday. Take you out with a Nebraska fight song, which I'm absolutely positively sure you will not hear played very often on Saturday. Have a great rest of the week.